the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The Greg Kelly Show. Hello. Uh, man, disorientating a little bit. There's a lot going on. Uh, tomorrow should be the end of Nikki Haley. She'll take it as encouragement, though, when she loses by 25 points, not 30 points. Uh, the FBI and the Department of Justice, they don't even they're not even pretending to be a professional law enforcement organization anymore. The FBI is now the DNC. It's incredible. The guy shot on the train up in the Bronx, the pet store matter, which is uh, receiving not as much attention as other Incidents involving uh, women, you know, women argue with each other. Sometimes it can be uh, national news. A woman argues with a person about a building uh, and who lives there or not. David Muir makes me all worried about it. Oh, something big happened. But a woman gets slapped in the face at a pet store and nobody cares. Well, I'm going to turn that around. And how is Trump going to come up with this $455 million? They're really going through with it. This again, they don't care. What the hell? What the hell is anybody going to do about it? That's that's the media's uh, the the judge, the Democrats, the FBI, the DOJ. What the hell are you going to do about it? You know, really, what are the consequences? Conservative media are going to run around yelling and screaming, but you know, dominant media they dominate, so we won't be able to turn it off. Um, yeah, the media are complicit. Democrats like it. Republicans don't, but Republicans barely have a majority in the House of Representatives. No, no real clout uh, in the Senate. I mean, they just keep doing it. They keep moving on. The only hope for this country, the people, you and me. And um, that does not sound like it it would be a fair fight. The people would win. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. That's the way it should be. But when they're pulling all the strings, this is... uh, this is bad. This is really bad. All right. I want to start, though, with um, as screw Nikki. Man, everybody knows how. Okay. You make your case against Trump. You got to sooner or later make the case for yourself. And you're just obnoxious. Nobody likes you. And you're lying like crazy. It's the lies. Really, really bad when it comes to lying. To our face. Right to our face. Um, but first, let me see here. Um, turn up the volume. You're going to hear a lunatic woman at a pet store. She gets all upset. She kicks a dog, and then she slaps a woman in the face. Cut 19. What is wrong with this lady? Yo, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Get the out of here. Oh, oh my God. Yep. Slapped that lady right across the face. I don't know what the problem was. It was a pet store. Everyone's petting puppies, having a good time. This lady kicks a puppy, and then they ask her to leave, and she slaps a woman across the face. Now, I noticed that certain times when there is a minor, 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 minor disagreement, nobody getting hit in the face, it'll blow up into international news. Now, what's the component? What's the component needed to turn a minor dust up where nobody gets slapped in the face into an international news story? Well, here's David Muir, the pretty boy on ABC with the hair and the voice. You know that guy? Cut 20, please. Cut 20. 
The confrontation caught on video a white woman blocking a black tenant from entering their apartment building, demanding proof that he lives there. Oh, my God. Same table, the same table where Peter Jennings sat. The Berlin Wall is coming down. Uh, Frank Reynolds, man has walked in on the moon. And now it's it's David Muir. The confrontation caught on video a white woman blocking a black tenant from entering their apartment building, demanding proof that he lives there. I would like proof. I would like proof. You know, I used to live in a building that uh, was not a doorman building. I I happen to have a doorman now. Great guy. Great guys. But my last building, there was no doorman. Actually, the building before that, there was no doorman. So you had a key. So let's say you're in the vestibule taking out your key, and some guy wants to come in behind you. You can't come in unless I know who you are. That's what this lady did. And what did they do? They called her a Karen, and they canceled her. Of course, oh, the missing component, of course, is race. Is race. All right? Now, why wasn't the pet store thing a big deal? Because the uh, perpetrator was black and the victim was white. That's the world we live in right now. How about the poor, what do they call her, the city bike Karen? She tries to rent a bike, and some guy comes up and tries to take it. And oh, by the way, she's pregnant. Cut 21. Please help me. Please help me help. Please get off me. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. She wanted help. It was her bike. She rented the bike. These kids are taking it from her. That became a global story. Thanks to our fake news. And I do think, I was thinking about this today, enemy of the people. Underline it and put an exclamation point at the end. Enemy of the people. They take that and turn it into this. Cut 22. The confrontation grew quickly between the white hospital employee and young black men just getting ready for a bike ride. The white woman here is seen attempting to steal a city bike from a young black man claiming she was threatened and was calling for help. The white woman versus the young black man. The white woman versus the young black men just going out for a bike ride. Wow. I tell you what those white women did, what you did, ladies. You voted for Trump in 2016. That's what's going on. And there's a hell of a lot more where that came from. Cut 23. This is a typical case of a white woman, white womaning, right? So we see the disrespect, we see the privilege. White women have taken an active role in the maintenance of white supremacy. My advice to white women is, man your own goddamn business. (laughs) That was on television. Mainstream media. Uh, Have you felt the chill out there, white women? Often from other white women, white liberal women, they're still... Fed up at you for voting for Trump. You know who the worst is? The worst of this bunch? Stephanie Ruler on MSNBC. You ever see her? She's perpetually smirking at the world. That exasperated face. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. One more time, David Muir. Can you believe this is the most, this is the number one TV show apparently in the world. The ABC World News Tonight Show featuring Ithaca College dropout David Muir. Cut 20. The confrontation caught on video a white woman blocking a black tenant from entering their apartment building, demanding proof that he lives there. 
You think the world has gone a little bit crazy? Yes, it has. <laughs> it's gone a lot crazy, hasn't it? Um, all right, what else did we want to do here? I think we should talk about Nikki. Nah, let's skip that for a moment. Let's talk about Jim Biden. Uh, Jim was at the uh, on Capitol Hill acting like his brother owned Washington, D.C. That was really something. And he comes out and he says, I have never, ever, ever benefited from being the brother of Joe Biden. I have never, ever, ever benefited from being the brother of Joe Biden. Well, didn't take us long to find uh, all kinds of moments in his career being Joe Biden's brother, where his brother was making a phone call to a bank, where his brother was writing a letter, where his brother was, I don't know, maybe even extorting people. $200,000. We got a check from... From Frank, I'm sorry, from Jim Biden to Joe Biden, $200,000. That's a lot of money. And it's the same day, I think, that Jim Biden was paid $400,000 by some fly-by-night company. And then, of course, there's Frank. Frank Biden, the little, little brother, just saying openly, we're the Bidens and we're, you know, we're all related. I'm just Frank, but I'm related to Joe and I'll get stuff done for you. Cut 32. The bully pulpit that I have as a result of the privilege of being associated with with my brother Joey. And I'll do everything in my power to support you to get the job done, to get federal dollars to your research. I'll do everything in my power. What is he going to do, write a letter? He's going to ask his brother. He's going to ask his brother. These Bidens are grifters. Frank Biden, here he is. He's not a lawyer, by the way. You ever see I, the late, great John Rowland? You ever see, remember those subway ads? He was a non-lawyer a, a spokesman for some law firm. Okay, that's fine. But when you're the president's brother and you go on TV like this, cut 33. I'm Frank Biden. I'm the non-attorney senior advisor to clients statewide who need diversified business solutions through the Berman Law Group. I'm available for consultation with attorney Teddy Berman in any of our offices statewide. I want to see your ass in Tampa tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Frank Biden, non-lawyer. What do you think you're buying when you, when you hire the Berman Law Group? Frank Biden, the brother. Now, this is not invented by the Bidens. This is not invented. This is swamp. This is very swamp. I think they took it to a, a ludicrous degree and probably an illegal degree. But here's George W. Bush back in the day. This is all the way back in 1992. The future president of the United States at that point is nothing but a, well, the son of a president. He's not yet been elected governor of Texas. The only thing he did with his life is not find oil in Texas, which is almost hard to do when you're looking for it. Um, What else? He bought a, he was like one-eighth owner of the Texas Rangers, who at that point were in fourth place. Uh, Let's see what, oh, and he ran for Congress in 1978 and lost. And, uh, but... Sounds like he thinks he's a big shot, and I guess he kind of is in a warped swamp sense. George W. Bush, 1992, cut 34, go. When you're the president's son and you've got unlimited access combined with some credentials from a prior campaign, in Washington, D.C., people tend to respect that. I mean, access is power, and uh, I can find my dad and talk to him any time of the day. How about that? Just saying what we used to call the quiet part out loud. Uh, wow. Actually, you still, you still did that. Isn't that crazy? What he just said there? 
And that's what they do. And a little bit Joe Biden is like, what are you hassling us for? This is the way it's done. Well, not to the extent. And Joe, you know, at least the Bushes, they had money. They had family money. They were, you know, blue bloods from Connecticut. They were, uh, you know, the country club stuff. They, they kind of, they came from that world. Joe Biden, just listen to Joe Biden. I mean, I don't say it. He says it. Joe Biden says he's white trash from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I, I don't like that phrase, but he has said it. So is Bill Clinton, by the way, um, which is also a lie. Joe Biden grew up in part in Garden City. Did you know that? He actually grew up at Garden City, Long Island. Nicest town, one of the nicest towns in the country. I think I think there are three country clubs there. There are four golf courses. There is, <laughs> and uh, Joe talks about Scranton, Scranton all. He doesn't tell you about the time that his father gave him a new car every year in high school. Every year in high school, Joe got a new car. Um, anyway, uh, what else? We're going to um, leave Joe alone for now. Fonny, remember Fonny? Fonny, the prosecutor in Atlanta. Um, turns out she was hooking up with that guy, Nate Wade, way before 2022. What is that? Well, she just lied about it last week. This is very good news for Trump. Very good news. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. is the Greg Kelly show. You know, I was watching MSNBC last night. I know I shouldn't watch it and it really doesn't matter. Uh, people getting upset about what people say on TV or a radio show. Uh, but with her, it actually, it actually means something. Uh, it, it represents behavior. It represents a move in a very uh, dark direction. You know, uh, there are people in this country who want to dismantle Christianity They want to take it apart. I think they also want to do the same thing to the Jewish faith, right? They don't believe um, in the Judeo-Christian values that 99.9% of this country embrace. Um, Hey, you're allowed to not embrace them, but you're not allowed to actually actively try to dismantle um, our way of life and just a sense of how wildly wrong these people are, what they're talking about. They don't understand the rights that we have. We don't get them from the Congress. We don't get them from the government. We get them from God. You can look it up in the, um, well, number one, you know that. I know that. It's in the Bible. Um, And as far as our government, look at the Declaration of uh, Independence, right? We have certain unalienable, inalienable rights from our Creator. Now, look at this uh, ignorant woman. But she's she's really, like, in with with the fake news. Her name is Heidi Presbella. And let's see here. Used to be at MSNBC, got fired. Now she's on some website. And every now and then she writes an article and begs to get on television. And they let her go on television. And she says stuff like this. The thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, Mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The the one She thinks that's crazy, that we're all crazy for thinking that. That's not Christian nationalism, by the way. That's that's also that's known as American 
That's an American belief. That they, and you can be an atheist, whatever. You don't have to subscribe to it. But that's what our founding fathers believed. That's what they wrote down. And they also said that the whole system will not work if we don't have people of some faith. We have to have faith. So you ever notice on the money, Heidi, it says, what does it say? In God we trust. She makes it sound like we're a bunch of wackos. And she she cannot like get her hands around this. This is the result of woke education. How old is she? 36 years old, I'm guessing. Yeah, she's had some serious work done. She went away for a while. And she's 50. Hmm. Well, she had some serious work done. She looks a lot uh she looks a lot different than when she went off the air. One more time on that, please. One more time if you don't mind. The thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, Mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. And aren't we crazy for thinking that? Aren't we just a bunch of uh, uh, nut jobs, a bunch of hillbillies, right? Christian, what is a Christian nationalist, by the way? I don't understand what that is. But yeah, I do believe that our rights do come from God. Absolutely. And uh, everything comes from the Creator. And I, I don't have to make anybody go to church. Nobody can make me go to church or make me go to temple or make me go to a mosque or you go to a mosque or anything. All right. We have freedom of choice, we have freedom of religion. Um, but man, this is, uh, it's amazing how they kind of, they're trying to stigmatize us, right? They're trying to trying to stigmatize us. Hi, Richard. What's up? What did you want to say? Uh, it's crazy that uh, Letitia James. Is... No, wait a minute. I had a different different program. All right, you get your thoughts together, and we'll come back to you. Okay? Jeez, jeez. Oh, um, the. A giant lawyer is going to come in and tell us how, how uh, the whole case against Trump was a setup. We know that, but he's got superior credentials. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Listening to the Greg Kelly Show. Well, we're joined by one of our uh, favorite people. Nelson Happy is his name, H A P P Y, a very experienced uh, lawyer. He is a former tenured professor of law and former dean of Regent University of School of Law. He went to Columbia University Law School. Smart guy, you know that. And a seasoned litigator with over 53 years of legal experience. Did I get that right, sir? 53 years? Yeah, and I'm only 60 years old, so I started, <laughs> started when I was really young. 
Now, look, you are a giant when it comes to the law. And, oh, and by the way, um, you had a very, a wonderful, I guess it was uh, two or three days kind of escorting around Justice Scalia. That's you, right? That's me, yes. You and Justice Scalia, thick as thieves for a time. Uh, Nelson, can you just tell me your reaction? You're not a, I don't see you as a very political guy, but I want to go through the, the most recent case and the others. We'll get to those if you want. Sure. Justice Angaran and the $455 million ruling against Trump. The money is due in less than a month. Your reaction to that case and, uh, yeah, what's what's happening? Well, it was a shocking outcome, but I knew in advance it was going to be a bad result because the court granted summary judgment before the trial even started finding that the financial statements that Donald Trump used to obtain bank loans were fraudulent. His lawyers then said, why do we even need a trial? You've already ruled against us. But the judge disagreed and went ahead and had the trial. But I knew the result was going to be bad because the judge, when the judge makes a decision that the financial statements are fraudulent, that, is like QED end of end of discussion. Well, the judge had no qualification to actually render that decision. He had no access to witnesses. He had no uh, experience himself. And I'm just going to run by what I told you about. Yeah, I discovered that the um, look Donald Trump would put down a certain percentage he had in two buildings on Sixth Avenue and one in San Francisco. He had a piece of these two buildings about thirty percent worth, which is probably something like six hundred million dollars. The judge said that Donald Trump fraudulently represented that trust. It's a trust as cash. All right. And every time Donald Trump said this was cash and he put cash in quotes Mm. when it was not. And he falsely represented it as cash. I looked up this statement of financial condition and guess what? It's actually under cash and cash equivalents and escrow and prepaid expenses. Sir, just what I told you right there, and those are the facts. It is pretty much as simple as that. You're, what do you think of what the judge did based on what I told you? Well, he, he made a mistake because obviously the the cash is qualified. So it doesn't mean cash in the bank, and the judge was wrong. That is just a mistake. Now, Is it a mistake or is it kind of deliberate? Because he was putting the word cash in quotation marks. Now, maybe professionally you're not allowed to, but I mean, we're, I think we're being generous by calling it a mistake. Well, if I tell you that something is black when you know it's white, I can be mistaken, but (laughs) it's unlikely. So, yes, I think it served the judges. um, It made his opinion work to do that, and there were other instances as well. The, The gravamen of this is that there was no damage to anybody. Trump proved that the banks that it, that looked at his financial statement made their own appraisals of the property. They made their own decisions. They didn't get hurt. No one lost any money. Millions of dollars of fees were paid to banks and lawyers uh, for the lenders as well as Trump. And there was no de- damage. So how do you arrive at a $355 million damage verdict when no one was hurt. Do you find it suspicious that they have that outlandishly high uh, fine, yet he's only suspended from doing this kind of business for three years? It, there's a, it, it's kind of discordant, if you will, right? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I had that same reaction because you would think somebody that was going to have to pay $355 million would be barred for life or 
a long, long time, uh, but just to be given three years, it may be that the judge was trying to make it look like more of a balanced decision so that he could um, not be criticized for just completely devastating Trump. But the dollars are the biggest devastation. Very few people could bond or pay $355 million. And that surely the judge knows that. He's been through the yeah. financial statements in detail. Do you think the legal community understands that this is wrong? What's happening to Trump is wrong. It seems to me that anybody with common sense would know that, but they're not speaking out because, well, they just despise Trump. Is that what's happening here? Well, <clears throat> I've spoken to many lawyers about this, and I, I, last night I found one of my friends on the, as I was riding home on the subway, and I brought this up, and he said, I don't care what the judge was right or wrong on the law. He said, Trump deserves to be punished. And I said, but doesn't this law concern you about you and your other clients as to this potential for the risk? And he said, no. He said that Trump deserves to have it happen to him. And there are a lot of lawyers that are not looking at the, the precedential value of this and the danger to them and their clients from such a bad law. And I can't blame the judge for the law. The law is bad. I can judge uh, the judge about the courtroom demeanor, the handling of the trial, the overall circus that was carried out in, in Supreme Court, these things uh, were not good. It, did not, it doesn't create people's feeling that the justice system is good. And that's the most dangerous part of something like this. The average person is going to be scratching their head and say, how could this happen? You know, the, the law, which goes back to 1956, the thing about it is, I can blame the judge for using this, for buying the AG's argument, because if you look at that law, number one, it's a mess. It's all over the place. And he bends over backwards for five pages trying to justify using it against Trump. And quite, you can't. It disintegrates. It falls in on itself. It's just, and do you feel generally the same way about the other cases against Trump? I think that the strongest case against Trump is the one in Washington involving the, the uh, documents, because I think there's no question that Trump was careless when he brought those documents to Mar-a-Lago and he put them on the stage and he didn't really take care of them. And I, I do, I, odd, interestingly, I visited Mar-a-Lago last year and uh, had lunch at the, uh, at the golf club. And I noticed that there were pictures all over the walls of Trump and Time Magazine, Man of the Year, all kinds of things. And I was chatting with the manager, and I said, well, what do you think about Trump and all these documents, this top-secret documents? And he said, oh, he said, didn't you know? He said Donald was just collecting signatures. He said he wanted a bunch of documents to frame to put up here at the golf course. Now, you know, I believe that. It's probably just that simple. Uh, it, those were trophies. He yeah. wanted to put them up. He wasn't thinking about the uh, Presidential Secrecy Act. No, Judge, listen, I have a world of respect for you, and this is the one area. Look, number a couple of things that you and many other people have been misled. The boxes on the stage were not full of classified documents. This has been this one of the many, many myths. In fact, if you take the number of documents that are in dispute, it would take up about... You know a ream of paper that you buy for your copy? Yeah, copier? 500 sheets. Yeah, uh, about half of that. 
It's not actually, a lot. Actually, a th- actually, give me a, about 110. So that's that's 20 percent of a of a ream of printing paper, and they tried to scare people mm. with those pictures. Now, also in retrospect, compared to the stuff strewn all over Joe Biden's garage, putting putting them on a gold stage, that seems like the perfect kind of custodial arrangement for precious secrets. And the other thing, there are a lot of other things, but I want to, I want to emphasize this, Judge. Yeah. And what do you think? Like, because everyone has overlooked this. They always say that Donald Trump, you know, stole these things from the White House and brought them to Mar-a-Lago. But they're all overlooking. Well, we don't have to talk about the Presidential Records Act. But when Donald Trump arrived, when he ceased being president on January 20th of 2021, he was already in Mar-a-Lago. He arrived there at about 1135 in the morning. The transition takes place at noon. Joe Biden took the oath at 1143. At 1143, at 11.42 and 59 seconds, Donald Trump had access to every single piece of paper in this uh, government. And wherever he is, he's the president. So that, they always try to make it look that he kind of secreted this stuff out after the presidency. I think that's a major difference. But you didn't, that's not the question you asked me. You asked me what was the best case. No, I get it. uh, And I I don't think it's without flaws, the case against him. But it's easier to prove that you have a secret document that you haven't accounted for than any of the other cases, which are all very subjective. Well, one thing they're counting on with the documents case is people not being familiar with secret documents. I was in the government. I'm sure you've done some governmental work. I had a secret clearance, you know, but most people don't. And they think of these papers as, oh, my gosh, they they're counting on the public being like, I think they're counting on manipulating the public, manipulating the jury when it comes to this stuff. Hey, let me ask you something else. I want to totally flip this, if you don't mind. All right. As crazy as Letitia James is, yep. and as crazy as I think what she did against Trump is, mm-hmm. I want to say, politically, she had every right to attempt to wage this case. I have played the sound of Letitia James as a candidate running around saying, I'm going to get Trump, I'm going to get Trump. And I have played that sound saying, isn't this wrong, isn't this wrong, isn't this bad? Mm-hmm. However, and I want to take all the names out of it, if you have a person running for public office and they want public support, and the public in a certain state thinks a certain person is a bad person and is worthy of prosecution, I don't see it how it's a problem or really how it's unethical to stand up and say, I want to prosecute this person as your prosecutor. We all know he's done bad stuff. We've all seen it in the news. We don't, you know, so vote for me and I will do that. Is that inherently wrong? Yes. Why? Well, because the standard for a prosecutor is not whether the person has done bad things or is a bad person, but rather has actually violated the law under the four corners of the statute. And frequently prosecutors say, this is a terrible person. He's done many things but I can't prove that he violated this law. I understand. But what about when we have sacred institutions, formerly sacred institutions like the New York Times yes. and the CNN every single day saying that this man is a criminal, this man is a threat to mm-hmm. democracy, this man uh, you know, tried to overthrow the government. All these nightmarish false things, by the way, but they repeated, repeated, repeated. You know, The community is moved to a point that they believe this, and I could see a— a candidate for public office also believing it or at least wanting to think, okay, I'm going to do what the people want. Oh, I totally agree with that. Letitia James is a politician. She wants to be reelected or go to higher office. 
and playing to what the public wants is how you get votes. But but it should be tempered by did the person actually do the crime that you're charging them with? And it's easy for prosecutors to pick off unpopular uh, people and prosecute them because of that and gain votes. But that's not really the way the legal system's working. Now, I'm not saying that this was – I'm not judging it one way or the other, but but the ethics of a prosecutor are different than just going with the political wind, at least the perfect prosecutor. That may not be true for many who are all trying to get to be governor or attorney general or move up in, in their uh, office holding, but it shouldn't be. So – if this happened 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I, I kind of asked you this already, but more people would stand up and say, look, I just kind of saw the legal profession as a profession and there are standards. And, you know, there would be giants who would stand up and say, you know, former Supreme Court justices, former attorney generals, present attorney generals, people of substance, people of accomplishment, you know, who don't like the guy. I have defended Biden in this documents case. I defended Cuomo in the sexual um, uh, a, a harassment case because I thought that they should not be charged. And I think, don't think that Cuomo should be removed for that stuff because they could mm-hmm. do it to one of ours. That's so rare. What I did, to be honest, not to pat myself on the back, New York times said there were three people who defended Cuomo, me, John Katsimatidis and Rudy Giuliani. That's it. Only from the right. Nobody else. What, what has happened to our culture where there are not more people who can see right and wrong and, and, and just say, even for people we don't like, we have to have standards. I think the society has changed a lot. We were talking earlier about <clears throat> when the uh, when the ACLU defended the Nazi marchers in Skokie, Illinois, which is largely a Jewish neighborhood. People came out in outrage against the ACLU for doing it, but the ACLU felt that the principle of free speech was more important than what it was about. And people of that era of the 50s and 60s took a lot of hits for standing up for principle. And we know that people like Dwight Eisenhower and John Foster Dulles and that kind of person were above politics. They wanted to do the right thing. But today we seem to live in a society that's more governed by popularity and social media than in actual principles. And I'm not sure people even know what principles are. You know, it's interesting, and that's something I kind of learned a little bit from Trump. Um, once you get used to criticism, like if you can be criticized and not have it bother you at all, that's very liberating. Yeah. So, and I notice a lot of corporate types, and I understand this to a point, you know, the moment they're mentioned on social media, <gasps> they panic. They, they, and, yes, and they, they wilt. Do, they wilt, and they do whatever the mob wants. Yeah. And it's interesting, though— <laughs> Once you learn, you know, the mob's going to move on and you might as well just do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. And it's fun. It's a better way to live. And I think you can make more money that way. Well, it's easier, too, to remember what you did uh, when you're following some principles or guidelines. Professor, would you stick around with us for a few more minutes? Sure. We'll be right back. Greg Kelly. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. I joined the Navy to serve my country as a Navy SEAL. 
While parachuting with my platoon, my parachute didn't open. I broke my neck. It left me paralyzed. Paralyzed Veterans of America was by my side from that moment on. Since 1946, Paralyzed Veterans of America has kept a promise to our wounded veterans. We will never leave a fallen comrade behind. Thanks to PVA, Paralyzed Veterans are getting specialized medical care and treatments. The benefits they've earned, the jobs they want, and the accessible vehicles and homes they need. I just don't think my family would be as happy as they are without the support that I received from Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. To learn more, go to pva.org today. If you're talking, they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So don't they hear you? You can do it if you try. 